Welcome to the 200% Life Podcast with Adam Hergenrother and Caitlin Frotland, where we bring you weekly insights into spiritual growth and business success. You know, one of the uh, the questions that comes up a lot is, I think for a lot of us too, uh, it's something that I think a lot of people reflect on, which is, does more money make you happier? Mm. Um, and this is a question that I think a lot of people when they're get, getting into business or getting into life, we we buy into this concept that when people say go be successful, what it really means and what they're really saying is that being successful means that I make enough money or get enough. Really, it's, it's usually money because then money will give you fame. Money will then typically give you power. It'll give you leverage. It'll give you authority. It'll give you a title, right? At some level, money kind of does that and raises it. And so then if you do that and you have more money, you can then create the situations around you so they unfold in a way that makes your inner experience happy. And so a lot of us are told to go be successful. And now, of course, there's a lot of other benefits that happen too as well. So I'm not denying that. But I think generally people buy into that if I – this energy that I feel inside that I want to wake up and feel every day, can I feel it? Um, and you do feel it, by the way, when you go and get what you want outside and successful people use that as their avenue. There's other people that don't. Around the world, they may you know, deny money, right? That may be their way to go. But most people, at least not, in my experience, when people would, would, would say, go be successful, go get what you want, really what that meant is being able to have enough money to, to do what you want to do in life so you can control the situations, right? And there's, there's a lot of debate that goes on around this right now, which is how much money. And there was this recent art, the survey that came out. Um, there was actually, I don't know if you remember this survey. It was done like in 2000, I think it was eight or nine. And it, at the time it said basically going from zero money to up to like $56,000 approximately at the time, um, you did see an increase in happiness, which would make sense because you have mechanical needs that money can do. I mean, food, right. shelter, you know, being able to not stress so much about being able to, especially if you have a family and you're covering for other people. So there is that mechanical, like the happiness definitely changed based up to that amount of money. Um, at the time, I think it was around 56 or, or, or so thousand. And then it increased, they, I think they updated it and went up to like 75,000 or so dollars um, as a household income. Again, this is the individual's household income being able to cover food basic shelter. And then the most recent study that they came, I think it ended up being like 91,000 as their number. So basically zero to 91, happiness increased at some scale. But they're really interested. There's two really interesting points to this. When it first hit, like when it went from like zero to 50, it kind of rose relatively fast. But like once you got past 50, it increased, but not nearly to the amount that you would think it would. Mm -hmm. And then what's really fascinating is after about $250,000, the happiness factor started to drop off. Mm -hmm. And so it's like once they hit this 250 number, they didn't see much movement from basically 91 to 250. And then after 250, it actually start, started dropping. And people go, well, I would love that experience. And anytime we, have, we, we talk about this, there's a couple of things I think are important to kind of note here, which is um, – once you get to a certain level of of income that coming in, it does complicate your life. Like it, it can be more complicated or you can get in this rut of thinking, I need to go get this. I need to maintain this. There is a feeling of, you know, that I need to be more successful than I wanted last year uh, or wherever that case may be with striving to get more money. It becomes like a drug for people, right? And so this question um, of that we're really kind of solving for today, which is what makes self-made millionaires happy or what gives them joy um, is not always the same as what people think it is. You know, I, um, I don't know if I've told this story in the podcast before, but I met with um, 
I've shared her before on other podcasts, but I've met with, I met, I, I had uh, breakfast with one of the wealthiest people in the state of Vermont and he does a really good job of keeping himself off the Forbes list. He doesn't want anything to do with it. He's actually, he sold his company in the late nineties for over a billion dollars. So you can imagine what that is now. Um, so he has plenty of money, right? And he was at, um, uh, the giving pledge for Warren Buffett uh, a couple days before I met with him. And so there was a hundred billionaires that were there. And what he, when we were talking about money, cause it came up cause he likes to talk about it. And one of the things he said is like, um, cause at the time I was still more of like, I need to go make this amount of money or I need to have this financial goal. And he's like, why, why do you want that? What are you looking for from that? And he's asking some deep questions. And he said, I just got back from this, this giving pledge that Warren Buffett's doing. And there's a hundred billionaires there. And Adam, I'll tell you that 97 of them actually had miserable lives miserable lives. Like he used the word miserable lives in a way of not that they didn't create tremendous amount of value. They, you know, had their names on multiple hospitals, right? Their names on their Alamada, their names in, or, or drugs that they created that are saving lives or technology that it's advancing civilization. So they've done tremendous amount of value add things to the world. But he said they, they are never satisfied. That was like the number one thing that he distressed. They always needed that next hit, their next wing, their next thing in order for them to feel that same turn on that they're looking for. So when we think about money as like kind of the, the basis for this, if we're using money as a way to turn us on inside, you're never going to win. You're never going to win. And, and if we explore these three stories we're going to jump into for self-made millionaires that, um, in, in our opinion, um, lived wonderful, beautiful lives, different lives than what people would normally think of, or even just the general how the average millionaire net worth thinks, um, you know, because it looks completely different than falling into this trap of once I get a million dollars, I'll be okay. Once I get 10 million, I'll be okay. Once I get, you know, the number can be once I get to a hundred and think about, I always ask people in a class, like, think about this in your own self. Like when you were 16, if you had said, Hey, I'm going to, once I make $50,000, it's going to be amazing. Right. At least I know that for me, I, my first job I was made, I made $32,800 a year and I felt rich. I really did. Like I didn't have any really expenses or anything. And I was living at my brother's, um, house. So I was down there and I think I was living for free. So like, I didn't have it. So I felt really rich. Right. And that's what it was. And then I can remember when I, when I left that job a few months later, I was like, if I can just make $50,000 a year, I just remember this self, the, the talk, right. That was going on in there. Then it would just be amazing. And quickly after that, you make $50,000 a year. Then it was like, well, if I could just make a, I remember the next one was if I just make a, over a hundred, then, then it will be it. Right. It was like, then it will be perfect. And then I won't have to ever go after any of that again. And so my entire early part of my business life, that's what I did. And I just kept, every time I'd get close to the number, it would just up it. You just want more and then more. And so at some point you wake up and you go, well, that's not, money is money and joy is joy. They're bifurcating. Did you want to up it because you like got there and you felt that rush of energy and you were happy, but then it subsided? Yes, that's exactly what happens. Yeah, you're spot on. Like you, you get to a point where the, the money turns you on outside, but then it starts to close you once you accomplish your goal. Like once you, that's why goals are never the purpose of your life. They have a beginning and an end. They're wonderful. They're great to use, but they're not the purpose, right? Just like building a business is not your purpose of your life. Having kids is not a purpose of your life. And that's not a, yeah, yeah. go ahead. Well, so it's kind of like confusing the one initial rush of energy and thinking that that's just going to last forever. Yeah. And so it's almost this misunderstanding how the energy works. Like if you hit it, it's not going to last forever. And you, you're right. And we do this, we're talking about it money today because a lot of our listeners are entrepreneurs or leaders or business owners um, or, or in, the, in the workforce from this. 
But it's really anything that's turning you on outside that makes it feel like if I just keep doing that same thing, I'll keep getting the same hit. And, and I think predominantly most people do this with money, right? Like there's just a natural reaction of like, if I go get this, then I'll be money. And we're sold that, right? We're told that. And it's not wrong. People, it does turn you on, right? If you go get a bunch of money, it'll turn you on for a period of time, right? It, it really will. Um, but in these cases, these individuals we're going to share here, like I think you'll you'll start to see that like, you don't, you don't need to give it away. You don't need to spend it all or you don't need to keep going after it in order to allow money to do its thing. Money is a tool in your life. So if you have more of it, you can, it's wonderful. You can spend it, you can share it, you can keep it, you can invest it, you can do wonderful things with it. Um, but we have to separate the two. Anything that you're doing outside to make sure that your energy feels better inside, which is what everyone does when they wake up in the morning, the first thing that anybody ever does is to wake up and go, how do I get this juice flowing? How do I make myself inside feel better? And then you naturally go out there and say, well, everybody out there can have a play, a role in this. And, you know, if Caitlin shows up the way I want her to over here, or if, you know, if my kids make sure they do this today, then I'll, then they say this and they perform at this level in sports, then I'll feel okay. Right. And it's like, we're all doing this with all these little things. And just all you just stop and do is pay attention. But the big one for a lot of us is just money. And you can see it in like celebrity culture. Yes. That's a, a great example of people getting to the top and then you know, not being happy and fulfilled. And- yeah. I mean, you know, even like everybody from like Michael Phelps talked about how his deep mm-hmm. depression and how he was on suicidal thoughts. To the other side is like Tim Ferriss, right? Like of just, mm-hmm. and all, both those individuals are very open about there. And there's plenty of people, but I'm just using those two names because Michael did a, Michael Phelps did a whole documentary on it of mm-hmm. being in the Olympic athlete winning 16 gold medals of all the most decorated gold medalist of all time. Right. And then realizing like that, that's what it was And it. And when he stopped, he got really depressed. He doesn't, I don't know if you ever, have you seen that documentary? No, but now I want to watch it. Yeah. I forget. It's, um, uh, it's the, uh, heart of gold maybe is what it's called or something. I I could, I think I'm off on that, but, um, it's a wonderful documentary that he did basically on how Olympic athletes get into severe depression or not, um, trained properly of how to handle life after being an Olympic athlete because your entire life, you're, that's all you do is be an athlete. And then all of a sudden, like you go through the Olympics and you come in fourth, yeah, right? Yeah. By hundreds of a second that you missed it and you just go away. That's literally what happens. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like what you write about in 200% life about um, having your identity or yes. thinking your identity. And then when that's taken away, yeah. what are you left with? What are you left? And that's why it's like if you put all of your energy into that and people in business, they're, they're if you will, most people, their kind of value in that is determined by how big their company is, how much money they make relative to their circles. Now, they may go, well, I don't really, somebody may say, I've had people say, well, I don't really measure it that way. And I go, you're not measuring in billions because you don't hang out with billionaires. You're measuring it though amongst your own peers at a different level. And they go like, yeah, you're absolutely, that's, mm-hmm. that's actually accurate, right? It's like, and so at every level, they, and there's different degrees of that, but in general, people will, will go in the circles they go with and, and start measuring based on what that looks like. And again, there's nothing wrong with any of that. There's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong. At some point, I don't know if money will be the same way it is, right? At some point in our, in our history, money didn't operate the same way as it does today. But the, the question is, is, you know, ultimately, why are we so addicted to the money? And again, the reason why it is because we find it's the fastest way to really, for most people, to go out there and, and make you feel better inside. Because then you can buy what you want and do what you want. Uh, at least that that's the that's the illusion of what it is. Do you think it's because it also attracts so many other things like power, influence, fame, um, yeah. that money is kind of the one big thing that brings all those different things together? Yeah, and I think people buy into the illusion that any one of those things 
could give them an additional boost of energy. So if I go get a lot of money and people find out in a press release, I sold my company for $100 million, then I'm really going to feel it because then people will admire me. Right. Right. Or, or like, or I'll have, or I don't want them to find out with me, but I'll have power because people, I'll have money and I'll be able to hire whoever I want to run my life the way I wanted to do it. And again, there's actually nothing wrong with having the press release. There's nothing wrong with hiring people to help your life out. But if you're doing it for a way to give yourself a better internal feeling, you've now committed yourself to this game that you're going to play your entire life, which is now I need to either go get more of that because you just, you, that's the only thing that's turning you on at it just the law of diminishing return is one of the, one of the most wonderful kind of like it's in economics, but it's a spiritual like technique because law of diminishing return just states that the more I have of something, the less I want it. And, and we all have that in our life. So once you, if you playing that game, you need something else to turn you on. You need more money, you need more fame, another plus release or whatever it is to turn that on. But in, in this case, there's a couple self-made millionaires that, um, and one of them we've talked about before. He happens to be in Vermont. The guy's name is Ronald Reed. Um, it was, I think it was in 2006 is what it was, or 2008, somewhere around there. Do you remember the date? Well, yeah, so he's a gas station attendant. And then I think he worked and retired. He retired for a year. Yes. And then he became a janitor at JCPenney. Yes, right. And upon his death, he donated, what was it, $4.8 million to charity. Yes. But nobody knew that. Yeah. Um, nobody had any idea. I can't remember if it was him or one of the other people we might talk about, but I think that was him who wore um, safety pins to keep his yeah, clothes together. together. Like nobody, like yeah. he wore beat up flannel shirts. Nobody had any idea that he had amassed a good sum of money. Yeah. And the wild thing is, I don't think he ever made more than like $38,000 in any given year. Oh, wow. Um, which is like the interesting thing. And people have written a lot about him in terms of compounding money. Um, and so you have, I mean, Ronald Reed, again, is the Vermont janitor. I mean, it was, it was wonderful to, to hear him. And then there was the other individual who recently passed away um, in New Hampshire. It must be something in New England up here. But in New Hampshire, which is another story, and people have linked the stories together now, and I think it anyways, but you can... Yeah, Jeffrey Holt. So, yeah, yeah he was a single um, 82-year-old man who lived in a trailer park in rural New Hampshire. Um, and same thing, nobody knew. I think he talked to one person who kind of, he let or let the person know that he had a large yeah. sum of money that he wanted to donate upon his death. And he donated $3.8 million to his town when he yeah. died. And yeah, his sister didn't know, nobody knew. It was interesting, they interviewed the sister because they were trying to dig into, did he live a frugal life? Because instantly people go, Oh, I wouldn't want that life. Why didn't they just go spend it? Why didn't he go spend his money? Mm -hmm. Because, and that's where I think the psychology or the spirituality aspect is really interesting in this. One, and I didn't meet with them, so we don't know this for certain, but one could say, well, they just lived a frugal life. I can't believe they didn't spend their money. But the thing is, if they were already feeling fulfilled inside and peaceful and light, which is basically how both of these individuals are described, right? You don't donate your money to charity at that level if you're not somewhat relatively put it together inside, right? That just wouldn't be your thought, right? You just wouldn't do something along those lines. So they literally have um, uh, this kind of this inner experience. And, and um, Morgan Housel actually did a piece on both these individuals a couple uh, months ago where he talked about, um, is it really frugality or is it just independent living? And he used the word independent living as a way, I think that's what he said, independent living as a way of basically saying, they just didn't need anything else to buy it, and they already felt like you did, essentially. So it was actually dipping the toe into money is money, joy is joy, 
they weren't turned on by going out there and taking vacation. They weren't turned on by trying to get fame or power or anything. They're actually really enjoying the, the ordinary aspects of life. I think that guy, uh, Gerald, um, uh, Jeffrey Holt was just, he would go out there and mow other people's lawns. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Ronald Reed, he really loved to read. He was an avid reader. And I think it was um, somebody uh, like on the board of the, his local hospital introduced him to like getting a library card and That's he started right. reading. Yes. And then his donation went to the hospital and to the library. library. And so it was like he was he was donating in line with his joy. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so there was just a lot of those different things. And so I like to think of it as like because frugality has a negative term to it. It's being like you're it's like I really want to go on vacation, but I'm going to restrict myself from going on this. Mm -hmm. Right. And now you're fighting. You're, there's resistance that you're fighting these different things. I think with these two individuals, it was more about like, I just, they truly, and I was explaining this at one point, like if you just don't need it, you just don't need it. It's not a thought. It's not even like, like right now, nobody's bothered by the trees outside that's listening to this podcast. So therefore it's the same feeling. Like they're just not bothered by needing to take a vacation. Yeah. You know, and Ronald Reed, too, I think I read that he um, liked to chop wood at his old homestead. That's right, yes. Which reminded me of the Van Morrison song right. about chopping wood, or yeah. what's the song, Enlightenment, and he's like, chop that wood, carry water. Yes. And it's just about the, doing the simple things in life yeah. and really paying full attention as you're doing them and, yeah. like, getting joy from just, like, really living. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that there's not other individuals that make a tremendous amount of money that aren't. Uh, bringing some sort of spirituality or components in their life. So it doesn't mean you have to go live their life. The point is, is, is there's always examples on both ends of people making a lot of money and being miserable. In fact, you just go look around. People are striving to like maintain levels or maintain identities and making a lot of money and spending it all and putting themselves in a tremendous stressful situation versus being a better steward of your money and living below your means and being able to then bring that out uh, into the world in many different ways of how you want to do it. I think the other individual who um, is a big fan of mine, uh, big fan of mine. I'm a big <laughs> fan of his. Um, when especially when he was live was Charlie um, uh, Charles Feeney, who he was like I think it was the he was a pioneer of duty free shops, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and like thrift stores and stuff like that. And then he got into other technology companies and startups. What I love, I think yeah. It, oh, yeah. I, was it? I thought it was primarily duty free, but I don't know. Duty yeah. free. It, it might have been. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe duty free shops is probably what it was. Uh, but what I love about him was he actually went in and started living that very lavish lifestyle. Like he start, he had like I think at one point when he started making a lot of money, six different ultra luxury homes throughout the world: the Mediterranean, L.A., New York, all the places that people would have homes. He had jets, he had limousines driving him around, he had Rolexes, right? He had all these different, all the things that somebody that was supposed to have a bunch of money what he had. And then at some point when, when they interviewed him about this, when he was still alive, he recently has passed away. When they were interviewing him about this, he said there was a moment that just happened. And he realized like, why am I better than everybody else? Like, why, why is it that I just like this whole lavish lifestyle? This doesn't feel right to me. It doesn't bring me any joy of having these type of things. Right. And so he, he basically from there then went on and started secretly giving away his entire fortune. I think he had like $8 billion is what it was for, um, is what it was. Yeah, it was eight, eight. He had an eight billion dollar fortune, eight billion dollars. And his whole goal was to give it away before he died, which is so fascinating, too, just to be able to watch. But he did it anonymously. So it wasn't he, he wasn't seeking the accolades from exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. And he, I remember when he made the decision, you know, within a 
short period of time, he transitioned to an apartment that he owned. He traded in his Rolex for, I forget what, like a Timex or whatever it was. It was like they said, he actually started biking places, right? All these, and he just did all the different opposite things of what somebody should do when they have money. And just, again, went into the ordinary aspects of just kind of living an ordinary life and just gave, he literally gave all his money. I think he, at the end they had $2 million left over or something along those lines that was reserved or an account or for, um, uh, I don't know if it was for family members or what it was, but basically he, that's, that's what their path was. Yeah. Yeah. One other detail I love about him is that he brought his stuff to work in a grocery bag, which I just, was like I the know. epitome of like, really, I know. you know, saying like, I don't need to have a nice looking bag. It doesn't matter at all. Um, he had a quote that I loved that, um, he said, I'm happy when, uh, what I'm doing is helping people and I'm unhappy when what I'm doing isn't helping people. And that yes. was kind of his definition uh, for how to live his life. Yeah. So again, like I always think about this because money is such a hot topic, right? It's, or it's a topic that comes up so much. Like money is money, joy is joy. But you're in, if you tie your inner state to anything outside, particularly money, it's going to be fluctuating. Because there's going to be, throughout life, there's going to be times where you experience success, whatever that is for you in your career. There's going to be other times that you don't. And it's just, so if you've tied yourself to that, then at any point in time, you're putting your so much, um, you're, you're giving your joy conditional happiness. Like you're, you're giving yourself this condition. As long as I'm making money or doing these different things, then I'll be happy. And when people hear this, I instantly see them, like, especially when we do this, like a project you and we go over the whole money course of this, you can see people understanding it, but then they want to raise their hand and going, yeah, but the world has to work, Adam. You've got to be out and like, yes, there's a mechanical nature to this. So if you're in debt or you have these different challenges, it doesn't mean that you have, you, you just all of a sudden just give up on all that stuff. It doesn't mean any of that. It means that you can create a plan and get th through this stuff, but you just start right away of going, whatever happens outside is not going to dictate my interstate. I used to, I used this line a lot too in my life, which is the business has no right to dumb up my inner life. Um, which is no no ability to like steal the experience that I really want, which is what everyone's after anyways, for the most part. Um, and so I think this, there's again, there's nothing wrong with making money. There's nothing wrong with going out and going after it. But just if you're, if you're going after it for the sole purpose or the purpose of it making you feel better inside every time you do it and then realizing that once you got it, you have to go out there and make more or build something different or be admired a little bit more or whatever it is, you will play this game your entire life and you'll never get through it. I have heard you say money is money and joy, joy at Project U, but I feel like hearing it this time, it's like really sinking in that it's like two really separate things. Like you work on your joy and you work on money, but there you don't work on them because you think one is going to get you the other yes. like they're just two totally separate things yeah you know it would it really and that's that's the bifurcation of that or separating them out it's just like a tree is a tree and your inner world is your inner world like it's literally that simple mm -hmm. it's just we have attached so much to ourselves about finding joy and doing what we want outside that money becomes the the common denominator that allows us to trick ourselves into thinking that if we have money, it's not really even the money necessarily. It's that what money can then do is what you buy into doing it. So if I had more money, I'd be able to buy a new house. Well, I've been in many, many houses and Sarah and I talk about this all the time and we've been in multi, multi-million dollar houses and we've been in apartments and the reality is there's a different experience that you have and there may be some luxuries that are nice with it of having a bigger mudroom right in the state of Vermont or having a garage so like right now we don't have a garage to park our vehicles in 
and uh, it snows all the time, so we have to wipe our snows up. And it's just, it doesn't take away your joy. Would it be nice to be able to park in there? Sure. But like, it's not like until that happens, I'm not going to be happy, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's where people, one of my mentors, obviously, you know, Gary Keller also says that he drives by his original house that he was living in. It's a brick house that they paid $300,000 for. And he, he goes to his house that he lives in now, which is a wonderful house. He lives way below his means, but it's a multi, multi-million dollar home. And he's, he's quickly to always say, I don't feel any different living in that house than I do this one. And he said, yes, there's some niceties. There's some niceties that are a little bit different. There's, there's not, it's not wrong, but it's not like the joy is robbed because I'm living in this house, right? Yeah. And that's what people, but I think that's why that common denominator is around money, which is money that gives me the ability to buy something. Well, then I can have a jet. Well, then I can take vacations. Well, great. Like, okay, so is the vacation you're going to take give you everything you're going to look for? Probably not. That's the thing. Maybe it turns you on for a little bit, but then you're coming back to having to do it again. And so I think that's why people buy into money so much is because they keep buying into the concept that money is the gateway into opening up all these things that have opened me up previously. So therefore, if I go get more money, I'll be able to do more of these things. And those things have opened me up in the past. So these patterns that have come in that, okay, great. Now, I, if I, as long as I go get more money and then I can go out there, I can open myself up again, which is what people do. So then you get caught in the same pattern, right? Of going, all right, so then I need to go on a vacation. Well, I need to go on. There's nothing wrong with vacation. There's nothing wrong with any of these things. But I always come down to a different question of asking yourself, well, why would you need that in the first place to feel good? And I'm not talking about like rest or relaxation or if you're feeling burnt out, like there are things to do that, but you don't have to spend money for those things. In fact, Sarah and I joke about this sometimes. We went on this wonderful vacation one time where it was last minute and we ended up staying in this like, it was like $75 a night. This was like, I don't know, eight years ago or so. Um, And we had more money, but it was like $75 a night and we put all of us in the same room and we were there for like four nights and we had so much fun, right? It was so, we joked like we were with like, you know, it was, everyone was just outside. They were fun. It was a different environment. And we had so much fun doing that. And versus like going to another, you know, you spent, we spent $30,000 on vacations before, which, and we we literally looked at each other and we're like, which one's better, right? It's not, and for us, like we just realized, sure, there's some luxuries that are nicer to this and different stuff. But from the inner experience, like it doesn't, it doesn't matter where you are as long as you're focused on that uh, for what it is. But I also think there are characteristics that are that are interesting to the people that are actually millionaires. And I think if you define this, because the topic of today's conversation that we, we came into this with is just like what makes self-made millionaires happy or joyful and different things, or what do they look like? And the reality is I think it looks a lot different than what people think it is. Um, people, the people that are typically buying things that you see that make them, oh, they have a nice car, they must have money, isn't really the fact. They may have a high income, but I don't think they have net worth. And so if you think about having a million dollars, what they would call augmented net worth, which an augmented net worth means if you subtract the equity out of your house, that means you have a million dollars net worth outside of your house, right? Not that the equity in your house is bad, but every unless your house is paid off, your house, even if it is paid off, it is still a liability because you still have taxes, you still have utilities. So at some point, there's still a liability aspect attached to that because there's money going out with money without money coming in. But the equity component is nice. But they, when people look at like millionaires in terms of that, they look at it in terms of augmented net worth, which is having a million dollars over there. And there's some, you know, the um, Thomas Stanley wrote a book called The Millionaire Next Door, um, and they go through some characteristics. Do you want to share what some of those are? Sure. So, um 
So he writes or he dispels that myth about how most millionaires live and what it takes to become one. And the most common characteristics were that they live beneath their means. They use their time and money efficiently to build wealth. They prioritize attaining financial independence over displaying social status. They're skilled at identifying investment opportunities. They choose the right line of work. They are most build their wealth from scratch. They didn't inherit their wealth. Um, many are self-employed in relatively unexciting fields, welding or paving, contractors, factory owners, accountants, or auctioneers. They're extremely frugal and budget their expenses, and they invest a significant portion of their realized household income, about 20%. Yeah. I think the if, if you're not saving 20% of your money uh, every single year, that should be a goal. My, my original, um, my financial guy who's a friend of mine has done very well um has has kind of been my guy for years especially when i first started out i remember him telling me like and i've shared this from a financial session before which is you know i think i started saving like maybe like a hundred dollars or maybe it was like five hundred dollars a month when i first started which was a lot of money for us like i was like how do you do it he always kept saying if it's not painful you're not saving enough Mm. it's not painful you're not saving enough and so then what he did with me was every six months he started doubling it and so it went from 500 to 1,000 every six months. And at some point, it kind of stopped uh, doubling, but he always would increase it. And that's what he did with his own life. And so you're always, as your increase, as your income increases, you, you're forcing yourself to save more and then putting it back in there. And, it, and I, would, I would, they use the word frugal on there. I, I would just think about just like you live within your means, right? Mm-hmm. That's also, I, I think I've shared this before, but when I met with Michael Singer, one of the first things he said, he goes, I understand you're in business. I don't want to talk about business. I've been there, done that. Um, but he's, then he went on to talk about business, which I mean, the first thing he said is you should make sure you always live well below your means. Because I think what he was getting at was if you, if you don't, then you've now caused yourself a different stress, which then becomes very hard to actually work more work on yourself, um, and do that deeper work, or it can take you out of doing that work. Um, because that's the only thing you can see is going out there and getting money to maintain your lifestyle, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. The, um, the, some of these characteristics I think are really interesting too, uh, is they use money effectively. They also understand money. They understand what it is. They understand that it's a tool. They also, they drive certain vehicles. They live, you would never, it's, you would never really recognize what they look like because they don't look like your traditional millionaire. Now they do talk in that book and it's, it's there. Once people get to a certain level of income, you can still go out and have things, but live well below your means, right? So if your income is $10 million a year, you can go out there and have more than the average person, but it doesn't look like that. But again, it all comes down to is, are you using money as a way to either convince, again, as that gateway drug itself of going out, if I get money, then I can get all these other things and those things turn me on. Just even imagining, sometimes people go out there and like, well, if I can just go get this amount of money, then all of this won't be unlocked. Think about how many times you've done that your entire life. And, you know, we started, we talked about this in our project you call yesterday as we enter 2024 is, do you have to be reminded or reorient yourself to aim a little higher outside of the world? Because the rest of the world will point you in this direction. They will point you in this direction and say, this is what you need to go do. Well, that's, I mean, as we're talking about this, that just keeps coming up. This is like what our whole culture is. I, I mean, know. everywhere you look points yes. in this direction. So to actually like step back from it and reorient to a new direction is a really, I think, kind of massive move, um, especially when your friends, your family are all may, you know, or many people in just life or even walking around are oriented in b- believing um, this story. Well, it's beca- and the thing is because it also, they believe into it because it works. Mm. Right. It, it works for a moment. 
So when they have gone out there and gotten what they want starting in childhood, they felt better. If a baby's crying, you give them what you want, they feel better. Yeah. And then that just continues to go on. So as you get in there, you get what I want, I get a toy, what I want, I feel better. So it's almost like we were doing this as a society instead of having the deeper conversations going, okay, great, something wrong with to have nice things or to go out and have a toy or to spur different things. But why are you doing that? And like bringing this awareness to it, especially um, like we try to bring this into our kids all the time going, yeah, this made you feel really cool. But the reality is, is last, last Christmas, all you wanted was this thing from Santa mm-hmm. and you got it. And now it was all this thing, just being aware that like these things come and go. And just so just, it's not like you're trying to tell them not to have fun with their toys or not to go out there and play with the world. Or we're not saying that either because people can come up with that conclusion. It's just, you're not attaching yourself to it. You're not, you're not thinking that by having all of these things is going to bring me this level of joy. It's just not. So it's like, then you get to this point where it just goes, okay, well, what is really going in? You, you start to fall back more into an ordinary thing that you just, you find joy in, in, in everything. You wake up feeling great. And you know, it's almost like whatever the rest of the day happens, it doesn't matter. Like just because you already feel good about what it is. And so then you can go out there and then you can make different decisions. And I wrote this in an email this morning to an individual who was talking to me, asking me about some of these questions. And I said, the minute you, they said, I want to be willing to start letting go more of the world and letting it kind of unfold for itself. And I said, well, the minute you do, you become free. The minute you let the world just do its dance, you are free, which is really the feeling that people are looking for. That's what absolute freedom is. So again, why are people that are self-made? I also think there's this kind of element to um, most people that have are self-made have earned it themselves because they've applied themselves. They've watched the growth. You know, for me, it was never... It's interesting. Um, it was about money, but it wasn't really about money. I know that's very contradicting in the statement. I'll explain. In my earlier life, it was it was about money. As I got more money, it became more about, I wanted the experience. What was it like to not ever have to worry about money? What was it like to sell a company? What was it like to have you know hundreds of employees? What was it like to, I just really wanted the experience of that. And it was fascinating. And then ultimately, you know, a lot of those things kind of came into it, but you just, you kind of wake up. That was more or less what drove me was I really wanted the experience of that. And then I went through the, the different phase of going, okay, well, um, if that's the experience I'm supposed to have that I can have it, but then how do I do this deeper? How do I take that same drive that I, that I applied to business for those experiences to having the experience of what is it like to feel completely absolute freedom in your life? Right. So it's like I had this this drive and I would apply it to one of these experiences, which is not wrong. Right. At least for me, that was the path that I went there. And then once I started checking these boxes off in in kind of years, I then started just tiptoeing more in this direction of like, well, what is it? What is it really like to be able to wake up and not need any of these things, to not even have these things as something that you really need to go have have to happen, not even having a bucket list. Right. Because you don't need a bucket list because if you happen, they happen. But if you don't, they don't. Right. Like. And that's where I, I've, you know, I've really pointed, you know, my life, which is, you know, come out there. So it's never about not having or building things. And it's not about that. It's not about not having goals or any of those things as well. It's just really about reorienting your life to, I don't want to have to wake up for something to happen for me to feel good. And I, I still think that's, that's ultimately what we're, we're doing is we are trying to wake up and then we instantly go, okay, all this has to happen these emails can't come in. This person can't call me, right? All these things that are happening. And I, I need my kids operating. Like, you don't say it like this every day, but that's what you're expecting to go on versus just waking up and going, 
you look the same. You still, it's right. You still go out there and you're still teaching the kids or you're still running a business or you're still an employee and doing something that whatever you're doing, it's not that you're not doing that. You're just, you're now free. You don't need anything from anybody from that. And then by the way, then when money comes, you feel more enriched whatever money that is there. And then when you have a vacation, you feel more enriched having a vacation. Or if you don't take a vacation, you feel just as enriched staying at home. You're just in a different experience. And there's nothing wrong going out and exploring the world that that's your thing. Some people are, and that's wonderful. You know, it's so it's just, I think the thing about money um, that is just kind of the baseline of this is that we can't, as a as individuals, can't buy, keep, keep buying into the fact that money is going to change our inner experience forever. Our money is not going to be this common denominator that we buy into and habit that is going to give us the feeling that we're looking for forever because you'll the ego will will, will be completely um, unsatisfied for the rest of its life. So when, when you what about your own experience with that? Because you're you're not really necessarily drawn into money per se. No, but yeah. So, but I think everybody has their thing, right? Yes. So and so for me personally, like approval has always been like a big one for me people pleasing like and I think that's um or like the idea of like writing a book it's like oh if I write this book then Mm -hmm. that would check that box and I would feel you know I would feel it would change something you know I don't I don't say to myself oh I would feel that way for I don't say like oh I'm doing this because it would bring me joy but I just have this like kind of vague notion that that would be a really good thing to do yeah. you know and but i see it show up in lots of areas too like parenting like yeah. oh if i can just be a really good parent yeah. i mean so it's, it's kind of it's like a shapeshifter yeah. you know and at times it has been with money but just less so for me it's more about um yeah like recognition things like that and um but yeah it's it pops up yeah in a few different spots for sure yeah. You know, I, I see more and more individuals that have become successful, um, you know, either read our, read the 200% life or listen to this podcast and reach out and just being like, uh, th- this is my life, right? Like, this is what I've, I've, I've been aware of this for a little while, but this, the words, the way you put it into this thing actually really allowed me to understand that I can actually go live both. That was because that was the, the ultimate question, which is it's not renouncing money. It's not renouncing a business or a vacation or having kids or being a parent. It's none of that. It has nothing to do with that. Just like you're it, just like money is money. Everything money to me is just an object of consciousness. It's just something that's out there. Just like everything else is out there in your interstate is your interstate. So instead of waking up and going, I'm going to tie the two together, you just sever them. Right. And so that your interstate is what you work on so that you wake up with a wonderful interstate, then you bring that into whatever that you're doing. And then I think you just do it better. Like I still want to engage you do do with it. people. Yes, exactly. I still want to write. I still want to exactly. do these things, but I think not being attached to it yes. just makes it happen. It's better for me. It's better for the people around me. It's better for the world. It's, yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not done from a place of need, it's done from a place of giving. Yeah. You know, one of the, the questions we get is like, if I go down this path, will spirituality make me, you can use the word lazy, will spirituality make me not perform at the level that I'm performing? What will it do for my life? Will I be able to, you know, have maintain my lifestyle? Um, and we're going to get into that podcast. Uh, mm-hmm. We're going to do a podcast on that because that is a common question we get. And by the way, some people, when they first go in this, feel that. They feel that like their total transition will walk people through that whole process of the ego splitting there. It's almost like I, I heard um, uh, Ganga G. Do you ever listen to her? Yes. Yeah. She actually talked about this. She used a line 
which I thought was wonderful, where she she said, um, uh, the mo- the personal mind will go, oh yeah, let's go kill that over there. And then it's basically, it's like, then I'll be over here, but it's all ego, right? It's like, mm-hmm. I'm going to go kill this version of me over here so I can be this version, mm-hmm. but it's going to be great over here. Uh, I forget the way she was like, I'm going to go kill that. Like I'm gonna, that, yeah, that and it's almost like it's the mind is saying, I'm going to go, yeah, I'm going to go let go of work. That's what we're going to do. And I'm going to go be this person over here. And you're going, see, now I found my natural path. And it's just, it killed one version of the ego to a new, new version of the ego. Mm-hmm. And that's that shape shifter. You kind of, it can, whatever it can constantly do to keep you paying attention to it. Cause it doesn't really care. All right. So the tech, the thing that I would take away from this is um, check your, just orient yourself coming into the new year, orient yourself. Am I playing the worldly game? It's not wrong. It's not right. If you're going to play it, play it very well. <laughs> if you, if, if you're listening to this and you've made it this far, there's probably something in there that has caused you to go, okay, I don't know exactly what it is. I can't really put words to it, but I know there's something deeper in my life. There's something maybe more meaningful, whatever word makes sense for you um, that I want to go start exploring more. And so this is where you, every time you feel the urge to go out there and say, I need more fame in, in, in the urges is usually in a voice or like, Oh, if I just go get through this, or I go get through that, if I just go get this raise or I get this promotion or I go get this next sale or I get this next client over here, that's when you go, Oh, that's the mind grabbing me again. That's when you stop you just pause for a second. You can use positive affirmation if you want of some sort that it says, I'll be great either way. I'll be great either way. I'm fine. I can handle this. This will be great. If I have that, I get the client wonderful. I don't get the client wonderful, right? And that's a way to do it. Or the, or you can go a little bit more, which is you can just relax through the energy. So when it shows up, the energy will kind of just tr- want to take you. It wants its consciousness on it. And you just, you start relaxing. You is in there relaxing, allowing the disturbed energy to do its own dance inside. And as it does, it starts to slowly dissipate and then it no longer has control over you. Because right now that energy has control over 99% of people that are out there, right? It just, it controls them because they don't even realize it. Like they go in, they meditate, they're out of these thoughts. I can't meditate. And I, well, the thoughts are controlling every part of your life. And again, even in this conversation, it's just, you know, how many of us are listening to us or they're listening to the mind narrate this conversation of going, I don't really like what Adam said, or I agree with what Adam said, or I would have said this, or how come Caitlin didn't ask this question, right? Whatever it is, instead of actually being fully present for the conversation. So start with, you know, the minute you feel any urge towards money, just be aware. You don't have to, the doing is the doing of being aware. If you do and take action, that's, people always say, well, what do I do? Well, the doing is being aware. That is a doing action, right? Does that make sense? Like it is doing, right? You are doing something. Because if you don't, if you go and you follow through with it, you're doing it outwardly too as well but there isn't the what do, what do i do it's it's you relax but the doing is the relaxing that is something you have to do is doing it's like focus concentration yeah. is an actual action yes exactly and you just become aware you just pay attention and go man yesterday it told me to go do this a week later it's telling me now i need to go over here like it's just it, it doesn't work and so then you that alone will point you in the direction of the path that you need to but always remember money is money and joy is joy you have to start separating the two and then as money comes or as things unfold, you can really experience them at a deeper level.